Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson co-producer of Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. All right, we're back with a flash of beauty with our good friends here at the show, Jill, Brett, and Mike, the crew of Flash of Beauty. Hello, everybody. Hey, Hello. what's happening, Joe? Hey, I'm good. Um, you know, things are going to be structured a little bit different today. We don't have a typical guest, except I guess the four of us here were guests amongst ourselves. And, um, once in a while, you just kind of have to take a step back and look at where you are as far as the space we're in here, not only as podcasting, but as, uh, you know, filmmakers like the crew we have online here. So I thought it would be good to do an introspection of, of sorts. But in all honesty, um, you know, things are uh, up in the air for me personally with a housing move, a studio move. And uh, rather than be distracted from the eventual landing out here in the Olympic Peninsula at a place called Agnew, Agnew, Washington, uh, underneath Hurricane Ridge, um, it looks like that will be the permanent new facility. That's what's going on personally. I do have some some stories I'll get into about... uh, some interesting Bigfoot stuff as it relates to this move. But um, I just wanted to catch up with all you guys because it's been about two weeks or so. I've cracked open a bottle of Belgian white, which is on the house here. Um, You can't beat that price. Blue Moon Belgian white. Jill, you got a libation in your hand perhaps too. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Jill's life. Even though I, I said I was going to start with you, Mike, but Jill was giving me that look like she had something to say. So Jill, no, what's Jill, going go on? For it. I have absolutely stealing nothing Mike's critical. Yes, yeah, stealing okay. Mike's thunder. Um, I do have a libation. I would like to recommend the the not so vintage um the the kirkland brand uh cabernet that comes in a box no so let's okay so let's take a step back where we are with things um you know for me so we're trying to get everything into our distributor uh originally they wanted everything like the second week of february so we missed that deadline and then after we had the screening in forks uh over memorial day weekend we're like oh man we have a whole month to get get them everything they need piece of cake and then uh life happened so i've i've really kind of removed myself creatively from the documentary from the sequel because i am i've been dealing with all the paperwork 
Uh, there's this whole other side of what I do on these projects um, that is not beautiful cinematography or music or engaging and uh, heartwarming. It is going through all the paperwork and checking boxes and making sure we have everything covered from a legal aspect. So I've been- real quick, real quick, Your Honor, just to explain to the folks that process just a little bit because, you know, walking into this, it's kind of fascinating some of the uh, landmines you can walk into as a filmmaker and not necessarily, uh, you know, know it. For example, all these images that show up in these documentaries, there has to be a permission slip. More than just someone's word, there has to be a document sign, and you have to make sure it's on, uh, you know, as legal standing. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, I mean, in addition to, of course, we have we have release forms for everyone who appears on camera. Um, if we use anyone's footage or um, or audio, uh, you know, we have to we have to have permission that outlines the parameters of of how we use it. You know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who skirt by and don't do this, but because Brett, Mike, and I, our background is in like uh, like narrative filmmaking, but also corporate commercials and industrials, where there is so much paperwork and dotting I's, crossing T's, um, I just wouldn't feel right if I wasn't doing my due diligence. So not only that, but like with the music, you have to do all the licensing for it and yeah, like stock footage and whatnot. Um, so sometimes when you're like when you've watched um, like the first film, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of like nature shots or sceneries or cutaways to footage to to help illustrate what the speaker is talking about. Um, you have to get you have to track down and get permission for that. And because Brett's a stickler for how things appear and because I hate paperwork. Um, he and Mike have been filming the majority of all the B-roll. So hats off to them because a lot of people wouldn't do that. But but for example, like uh, in in the segment where Diane Stockings talking about uh, like where are the bones and how fast things decompose. You know, we had to, we tracked down that deer decomposing on YouTube, contacted uh, the the content creator who made that and just little things like that. So gain mm -hmm. permission. So there's that. Um, well, Jill, real a, quick, are people yes. more often generous with their footage? Um, you know, for example, they they worked hard to get that film footage, but yet, you know, not everything has a, a price tag on it, especially B-roll that you find on the internet. Are people more often just like, hey, I'm, thanks for asking. Absolutely. If you want to donate, you can. Is that the usual attitude? What's it, it usually like? Um, usually from our experience, I mean, this community, the Bigfoot community is really interesting because it's interesting. So a lot of people just give so generously and freely. Mm -hmm. um, Daryl Adams comes to mind. He's mm -hmm always like in my in my uh facebook messenger inbox daryl's always sending me new stuff like have you heard this have you day. seen this yeah. oh yeah <laughs> so you got people like daryl um and so many others who are like use whatever you need mm -hmm. but then you have people who 
who have been paid by network shows mm. and whatnot, who understand that they can monetize this and have and can make money. And mm -hmm. there's some negotiation in there. And honestly, all the people that we've that we've paid um, for footage have been really not just flexible, but mm -hmm. really supportive. And like, yeah, I, mm -hmm. you know, let's make this work. The only um, time the negotiations didn't work out as planned um, was with for the the patty footage. Um, and, and to be fair, um, with the Patterson family, they were willing to negotiate a lot and be very flexible, but I was like, well, we're, we're indie filmmakers. We're, you know, paying for this out of pocket, you know, just kind of scrapping by <laughs> and they're just like, they're like, ah, okay. I think it would have been equal to about 80% of our entire budget for our movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, was, that was them coming down and, and they have, they have every right to do that. And that's fine. You know, yeah. Okay. I mean, so, so look at the end of the day, I mean, people have been extremely generous. Sometimes it doesn't work out and sometimes that works in our favor. So, right. I mean, I get it. Um, they may not know that, that that's not just regular stock because you see it everywhere. You just assume, you know, it's, I saw it on YouTube. I can slap in it. You can't just slap in it. There's only one frame, right? The frame in the dock, frame 352, yeah. where she turns and looks. That's part of the public domain, right, Brett? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's part, part of public domain. You can use that as you need to. And it's a, it's a whole crazy drawn out story as to how that became part of the public domain. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it's really kind of an interesting thing. But, you know, what's great about our wonderful United States of America is they have very stringent, very tough copyright laws. Mm -hmm. And that protects artists, that protects the generators of copyrights. And that's great. And that's what we want. And so we want people to respect our copyrights and we want to respect other people's copyrights. But yeah. Same time too, you know, what's great about it is is we're all looking for the truth, you know, whether it's a person that had their phone on them and their camera on them, they snapped a shot or it's us making, you know, putting all of that mm -hmm. place together. We all want the same thing and that's the truth out there. So people have been very, very cool. So Jill, you've been caught up in the, um, the procedural element of creating a documentary, checking all the boxes, dotting mm -hmm. every I. Mike, do you just do Bigfoot documentaries as the premier cinematographer for this doc, or are you balancing other things going on? Tell people more. No, I, if, if I could just shoot Bigfoot, I would. <laughs> that would be the perfect situation because it's, it's become a passion. But um, for instance, you know, I'm a freelancer, so right now, work is somewhat slow as far as shooting goes. There's some stuff in the, in the works. So there's planning that needs to go into stuff and, but God, you know, not very exciting right now. I'm Mr. Mom and taking kids to invention camp and mm -hmm. watching a two-year-old. So that's been keeping me busy. But um, other than that, I've really just been kind of reviewing what Brett and Jill have been putting together. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been a blast just to revisit all this stuff and see it kind of come together. Um, it is like a puzzle, you know, we're still, there is still some stuff that needs to be shot. I think we still got a little bit of B-roll to shoot, but, um, 
like for instance, we were trying to fit in a couple more interviews into it. And so we went out and shot some stuff um, with an experiencer. Um, we're just kind of fitting those shots into the storyline. And um, yeah, it's just awesome seeing it come together. And I just, I cannot wait for everybody to see it. It's, it's I just want amazing to and we're just so proud of it. Yeah. I also just want to say that Mike Ferry is the Hoyt Van Hoytema of the Bigfoot cinematography world. That's high praise, bro. It's true. It's so true. So true. If you don't know who that is, you will when you see the new Christopher Nolan film, Oppenheimer. Oh, nice. Okay. Cinematographer on that film and on many other films of note. So I just want to. Yeah, I know. A cinematographer, I love all of his work. But yeah, we're just trying to give, you know, we're just trying to give these movies, you know, a, mm-hmm. a very um, a very unique look compared to mm-hmm. the rest of the paranormal content that's out there. You know, we we think this deserves to be something beautiful and something cinematic. And, um, and so far, all the stories lend themselves to that, those kind of visuals. Brett, um, you just had an interview with uh, Jimmy Church of Fade to Black. Mm -hmm. The first words out of his mouth within the first five minutes were high praise to not only the documentary, but to the beauty of the documentary, flashes of beauty. And um, that seems to come up time and time again. In fact, he even called it, he said, I think he said, it's hard to call this just a documentary. He goes, I've seen so many documentaries. This is not just a documentary. He said, did he say it's more of a cinema style? Yeah. 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 Which I mean, is a great thing, um, you know, coming from, from someone like him, he's seen a lot and he's been a part, he's been oh, in yeah. a lot of documentaries and they don't look like the other documentaries that are out there, not, not saying anything against those, it just because of the fact that you guys, well, just like you were saying, Jill, that B-roll footage adds up. I mean, it's an accumulative effect. And for those who haven't seen part two, <laughs> this accumulative effect of going to grab this cinematic B-roll footage from all over America, um, and even outside of America at a point. Is that true? Did you guys go outside the States to grab B-roll? Uh, yet. Mars, perhaps? Have been, yeah, I was just about to say, we have been to outer space. Yes. But we were not conscious. <laughs> uh, we, don't we, have a shot, we have a couple shots from Vancouver, BC, don't we? We have one that a friend of mine grabbed mm-hmm. in Victoria, yeah. BC. But mm-hmm. Yeah. We will eventually, I think, at somewhere down the line, do a Canadian mm-hmm. Um, some Canadian filming. We we need to. I would love to do the the right. awesome documentary someday. But you know, but for those who haven't those who haven't heard this interview, Brett, uh, on Fade to Black, you need to do it because it really is an intensive two hour discussion where you guys dive. You go way down the rabbit hole away from Bigfoot, and you come back to Bigfoot periodically. But uh, talk about that interview. Oh man, Jimmy Church was awesome. And I've been a fan of his since he started um, guest hosting on Coast to Coast AM, which really is what has been fueling my paranormal desires and needs mm. for 30 years. Um, so that was really cool. And apparently he had been talking about the movie on the show, and I wasn't aware of that. And, and he was a big fan, and he'd seen it multiple times. And so that was, I mean, it was huge compliments. And, and it's, 
just the kind of reaction that we're really working, work, you know, very hard to get because it helps folks out there to take the subject matter seriously. And I want to be very clear. I don't believe that other documentaries don't take the subject matter seriously. And I'm not trying to separate us from anybody else. We're just doing it a little bit differently. There, there needs to be all sorts of, of forms of storytelling. Um, so I just want to say that, but, um, and we love, you know, all the stuff that we take a look at and watch and stuff like that. Um, but, um, we, we noticed, I mean, very, very early on that, um, there was an open door for series filmmakers to be working on these stories. And, um, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that, um, that are doing documentaries that are more of a confined, they don't have the resources to go outside of their, their region or their area. And so it, they, they end up telling these great stories that happen in that particular area, whether it's the Midwest, the South, whatever. Um, and we wanted to do something that encompassed all of it. We wanted something that somebody who is a skeptic to sit back and watch and go, you know, I may not be, I may not believe in Bigfoot, you know, this is what they're thinking in the first 15 minutes. But wow, this is this is beautiful. This is a celebration of nature. And then pretty soon, you know, an hour into it, they're going, wait a minute. This is this is kind of starting to add up to something that I can sink my teeth into. You know, our philosophy has always been from the very beginning is that, you know, we are the Bigfoot community um, is a community that we love. But we also want to get outside of the Bigfoot community as much as possible. We want to have something that breaks through. And, you know, audiences now, nowadays have a lot to choose from. And so you, st you have to figure out how to stick out. And so, so people talk about it because that's really when, when we're a self-funded documentary and we don't have a lot of marketing money or advertising money, we need to do something that people will talk about. That's what helps us perpetrate and, and gets mm -hmm. the film out there. So it's by design in a lot of ways, you know, that we really take our time and, and, and do it right. Yeah. It's a, it's a form of poetry on film, you know, and um, there's enough abstraction in that B roll that it feels like, you know, it feels like intensive art taking place, but under the undercurrent of it is this really kind of um, eerie, sexiness going on which i'm a fan of i didn't shoot any of it so i'm not the sexy one here it's mike mike's the sexy cinematographer Wait, no, that's the you best word that's the best words i've ever heard describe it i've heard other people say that too they said it's a haunting it's a very part two is very haunting um and i said yeah but it's still kind of sexy and uh, they said they agreed yeah that's what we're going yeah. for <laughs> that's Elvira. That's Elvira. You're really sexy. sexy. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you know what that is? This, yeah. The sequel is the Elvira. Yeah. Documentary. <laughs> just, just went. Just it's took all a hanging cool, out. It's all hanging out. Yeah. My. Took a hard right turn there. <laughs> we need to do your eyebrows, Mike, and get those yeah. those nice uh, arc eyebrows. <laughs> Hey, I was going to ask you, Mike, in relationship to what Jill talked about, because I kind of heard a little bit of Brett and Jill's story as it relates to maybe family in the beginning giving you a hard time about 
you know, talking about this or doing a film about it. And now their folks have come full circle and are mentioning it on the golf course. What, what happened with you? Was there initial fallout being a, a Bigfoot doc dude? Um, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, um, I'm, you know, I'm surrounded by skeptics. You know, I've got it. I've got Brett and Jill on my side and I've always kind of been one to look at the, uh, look at the unanswered and the mysterious and be really fascinated by that. Um, that's always been a part of what I wanted to do with my filmmaking. It's kind of tell a, tell a, an amazing tale and amazing stories about, you know, ordinary people. That's kind of what I think we've done, but, um, but yeah, you know, my family was skeptical. My wife is skeptical. My wife is very scientific. She's, she's a doctor and, you know, she's kind of, you know, by the book science and, um, you know, but very understanding and very supportive of what I get behind. Mm-hmm. But watching her kind of transformation in the last two movies has been really fun because even in the first movie, you know, skeptical of what she was going to see and was blown away by the testimony mm-hmm. um, and the stories and just, you know, began to rethink things a little bit, not just, you know, pushing it to the side and filing it away, but really absorbing it and thinking about it. And since, um, you know, the second movie hasn't come out yet, but Brett and Jill have shown me, you know, rough cuts. And, uh, and, and Lydia's, my wife has gotten to see some of those rough cuts and um, it's blown her mind. I mean, the second movie is, Mm is, is, is going to be incredible. And I think Lydia's seeing that and, and making some questions of her own. Um, you know, she was telling, she was texting me from work the other day, just saying like, I can't stop, you know, I, I can't stop thinking about some of the stories that were in, you know, the documentary. It just kind of sticks with you. Um, and I totally agree. It's sticking with me just watching it. And I, you know, it's something that just kind of mm-hmm. hangs on your mind. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to stop thinking about it. You know, she's got to, she's got to commute from, we live in Vancouver, Washington, and she's got to drive I-5 all the way to Longview to where uh, her clinic is at. And um, there's been some few sightings on that drive, apparently, and she's constantly scanning the tree line, just waiting for something to happen. So for her to, mm-hmm. you know, really embrace it and just think about it and just, you know, is, uh, is really, I think it's a testament to, it's a testament to the movie. It's a testament to, mm-hmm. you know, our storytelling. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, she's a, an academic. I, she's probably sharing it with other academic types around the water cooler. And they'll be impressed by, you know, her attitude towards the subject matter. Because I'm sure she's cautiously thinking about the reality of this and how it's affected you. But, um, you know, Jill, you have the best stories as it relates to how your mother and father have really turned into baby squatchers. Oh, how they've gone from um, mild disgust and disgust shame shame, um, to being uh, my mom approaching strangers Mm -hmm. uh, in doctor's offices and grocery stores. We got to put a GoPro on top of her bonnet. Excuse me, sir, but I couldn't help to notice your Sasquatch t-shirt. 
She doesn't do that. Beautiful she, impersonation. She right. says, <laughs> she, says um, she leans in and says, so have you had a sighting? <laughs> and then like then it's like a ptsd recall like this guy in the doc there they were at my dad had a doctor's appointment at providence up here in portland and she's in the waiting room and some guy came in sat down and he's wearing his like thumb bigfoot t-shirt and she's like so have you had a sighting <laughs> And he looks up at her and stares at her. And he's like, he starts doing a recall of, it was deer season, 1984. <laughs> the wind was at my back. Like, what, like doing this whole recall of like what happened. And just, um, yeah. And then, uh, then, so my mom, not knowing how to process the information she received, she's like, would you like my daughter's phone number? Which was <laughs> weird. She's just right. handed my number out. Um, yeah. yeah, so they've they're on which, board. Which is how Jill and I met. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we met in rehab. Um, <laughs> just kidding. There is a there is a We're, Bigfoot rehab. I'm not supposed to talk about that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, Somewhere in Longview. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's how you met gets, Mike at the clinic. He was picking exactly. his life up, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Brings out yeah. people. No, Mike yeah. was smuggling in the goods, man. <laughs> <laughs> like this is a guy that we could do business with, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting um, uh, to see how my parents respond to the sequel. And yeah. I've been kind of uh, preparing them for some of the weirdness. And, <laughs> you know, it, it goes full circle back to, like, the house that I grew up in was, it was haunted as, as all get out. And um, to the point where I, when I, when I was a kid and growing up, would try to talk to my family about it, I was like, I was like, they're gaslighting me. Like they are just messing with my head. You know, what is going on? And then when I finally like really talked to them about it, they're like, Oh, we had no idea. What? And I was like, Ugh. so, um, so they, they're kind of open to weirdness and strange things and they've had to deal with me a lot. So that's prepared them. So do you have brothers and sisters that are following into this too? Because that seems like the easiest place to access that. Mike, you have kids, uh, but what about siblings? Are they razzing you guys? I don't have any. I'm an only child, if you can't tell. But <laughs> what about you guys? I have. I mean, my older brother is. Uh, he's he's skeptic. He's a uh, just a uh, he's a skeptic of like everything in general, but. Um, Although he did call me on my birthday last week and was like, you know, if you got on the Joe Rogan show. It hasn't changed his mind yet. Um, to be determined. We'll see. I determined. mean, his kids, yeah. uh, we took uh, our niece uh, <clears throat> to the Owl Moon Lab down to the woods and stuff. And she was she was like, oh, whoa, you know, she was really blown away. Um but she is she's been brought up in a skeptical home so she questions everything which is good mm -hmm. um 
jury's out on my nephew mm-hmm. what he if he's on board or not um but we'll see i i think the sequel is gonna cause uh, cause an interesting family discussion at thanksgiving dinner so. well we're gonna are we gonna do a remit snyder family screening <laughs> oh yeah 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 yeah, because yeah, they're coming. They're coming up in a couple weeks or in a few weeks. So, yeah, so, oh wow! Does that mean yeah. go up into the uh, laboratory and turn out the lights and watch it? Kind of deal, like a private yeah. screening. They, uh, well, the living room. I mean, it'll probably <laughs> it'll probably become a fi- will probably become officially ostracized at that point <laughs> with the sequel. Because the first one was like, okay, we could wrap our head around flesh and blood. Bigfoot, you know, we were shocked that there's more than one of them. We thought it was just one Bigfoot. And now that we know that uh, there's more of them, okay, that was weird. But now now you throw this at us, you throw this cloaking, disappearing thing at we, Yeah, now we know you guys are crazy. So You think it's, it may go down like that? Because I know some of the witnesses, you know some of the witnesses, Um they're so damn compelling. I mean, we just got done watching some footage. These are really well done stories that that just lead you to believe that these people cannot be manufacturing this out of whole cloth. And there's yeah. there's there's so how do you think they'll process that? Well, like I said, um I've been kind of it's been like a soft disclosure conditioning my parents <laughs> for the weirdness. And that's probably a show. That's a discussion for a different. Mm-hmm. We'll wait till we do the Tara Harris uh, interview. Okay. To get, into, to get into all that. But, um, but yeah, so my parents are like, okay, Jill's got some stuff going on. So mm-hmm. we're going to dive into her little world. Oh uh, yeah. Going into the sequel. Well, I know I've said too much at my house. Um, I don't think my mother or my stepfather listen to the uh, podcast. Um, But sometimes I just give them, uh, you got to take it easy on these blue pilled people. You can't just, you can't just, sometimes I just give them a full data dump to see what they do. Mm -hmm. And um, I start with the end of the story and I don't give them any time to warm up you know, to the fact that there's more than one, I just go right to the craziest stuff. And, uh, oh my gosh, it caused a little bit of friction. Uh, you know, it was an odd moment of, uh, you know, great. Um, I think it scared him. The implications of this, some of it is really freaky to, um, family because they care about you. I mean, the good ones, right. And our, and I have a son, and um, so, yeah, the implications of a place, you know, in the second part, we talk about many places, but these window areas where they come more often, like Arla lives in, um, Arla Williams, I'm talking about, um, we, we do talk to her, that's no secret, but these places exist all over the planet. And that's also, in my opinion, it seems to be where the evidence is gathering steam is that these these window areas uh you know not only where sasquatch is also have these other coalescent things that happen that's what we get in a part two but when you tell family this <laughs> and you start 
implicating your interest and focusing in on trying to solve the Scooby-Doo mystery as a full-time gig. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, well, what are you doing with your life? And, yeah. you know, that's something that I, I tried to uh, delicately put in the first draft of the Al Moon Lab is that at the end of this, all you really have are shadows. So you have to watch where your own shadow is all the time, you know? Is your shadow becoming too dark? Are you focusing in on evidence instead of experience? And um, so it's very difficult to give this kind of information to people that live in this matrix blue pill world when you've been gobbling red pills like crazy for so long. And yeah, it did cause some weird friction uh, momentarily to the point where I had to apologize. Um, just to be frank, <laughs> I actually had to humble myself because there was really no other way out of a family dynamic than to just say, hey, uh, I spoke out of turn. Sorry about that. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Has anybody else had to deal with that? Is that just me? Like, do you get personally involved with this enough to where you find yourself maybe going to a war that you shouldn't be dying on that hill for? Mm, No, no, I don't think so. I think what's interesting about it is, you know, uh, when, when, when you're dealing with the the older people, I think, I think youthful people are open to it. My brother Mm. and sister are totally open to it um, and excited about it. You know, my mom is, has been super supportive and open to it, but you know, initial reaction was, Oh, you know, this is creepy. This is crazy. And my father who passed 20 some odd years ago, I know he would have been all about it because <clears throat> he was into the paranormal and stuff as well. But sometimes I think you run into folks who have, um, mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, whether it's religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs that are, that are rooted very, 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 very deep and it's generational. You know, and I was brought up in a house like that too, and and I still hold you know those values and whatnot. But there there is a there is a subconscious fear about all of these things, and what if they are real? What does that mean? What what does that mean to humanity and for us and people? And and the thing about it is, is that what what we're hoping to do with a film like Flash of Beauty is to get beyond this monster demon garbage because it's not by all indications this is not what's happening. You know, this is not a, um, that's kind of a a medieval way of looking at things, in my personal opinion. You know, the Dark Ages, whatever, if it was bad, it was demonic or it was, you know, look at Heronius Bosch's paintings, you know, for goodness sakes. Um, And so there's still, you know, humans, I think, if they don't understand something, they'll, they'll say it's bad or it's, they fear it. You know, you fear what you don't understand. And so... It all depends on the approach, you know, and I think this is true for anybody listening too. you know, if they have family members or friends or something that they're like, why are you going out squatching again this week? And, and, you know, you just, I think you just have to say, look, you know, this is what I've experienced. This is my journey. And I believe that there truly is something out there. I think that Mm -hmm. it's important to keep looking for the truth. Mm -hmm. It's significant. It's extremely significant to, Mm -hmm. We are. And, and, and what's so strange is that because I, I, I've dove into this pool head first, I don't look, the, look at the world the same anymore at all. Like I, I, I am in the, in, the, in the quote unquote paranormal mindset. These things 
absolutely exists. You know, mm -hmm. and I look at the UFO stuff that's coming out, the UAP stuff that's coming out every single day, more and more and more and more. And I'm like, this is, you know, what we're, what we're on, what we're coming into right now is a, is a new age of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And um, I was thinking to myself today that I, I, I truly feel like the U.S. government is going to be in a spot within potentially six months, maybe less, to where they have to come clean about extraterrestrial life. And that directly implicates Bigfoot because of the connections. And when our documentary comes out, when the paranormal Bigfoot comes out, and when it says some of the things it has to say, and if people are paying attention, and we will try and get people to pay attention, some people are going to start connecting some dots on some of this stuff. And we're going to realize, people are going to realize that the fact of the matter is there's just science that we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. And that's nothing to be afraid of. So anyway, sorry, rant over. Mike, <laughs> Mike, I just saw a, yeah. uh, a photo that you shared here privately to us. Describe um, what's going on. So, so this is an example of the phenomenon sneak sneaking into my family life my my daughter is in the first grade on the flip on the on a side note my daughter's teacher is a huge bigfoot fanatic um and she found out that we shot this movie she went out she loves it but one of um and that's just a side note but one of kate's projects was to draw a self-portrait so she did so she drew a picture of herself with sunglasses on um, <laughs> one panel of the sunglasses is her you know and it's and the sunglasses are huge prominent it's the most it's the biggest thing in the frame um and on each eye there is a scene painted or drawn with crayons one side is her and her cousins jumping on trampolines the other side is her roasting marshmallows over a fire and a bigfoot just kind of <laughs> low profile over her shoulder just kind of watching from the distance so yeah. it's something that's on her mind it's something that she talks to me about a lot and it sparked a lot of uh a lot of questions and some stories and stuff and it's just been fun to watch her kind of come along for the ride too you know yeah theoretically you know it's just like she's kind of soaking this up stuff up while we do and it's funny it's kind of like gone through our whole family as well and you know, you talk about family dynamics, like, for instance, last night, we're having a family dinner at, at my mother-in-law's and we're talking about, for some reason, we're just talking about what constitutes a good movie. And my mother-in-law, my wife, and my sister-in-law love a good, happy Hallmark movie, something that ends happy, something that Amen. has no suspense, no <laughs> mystery. Or Mike and I, <laughs> Mike had actually made one of those. It's called Bye Guys. Yeah, Bay. we did. It's a Christmas film. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sorry, man. And it's very much in that vein, but this is totally the opposite. Weird. And, you know, I was bringing up, it's like, you know, there can be some mystery to things that, you know, not every movie has a happy ending. You know, there's, there can be mystery and there, you know, not all movies are real. And, and my mother-in-law comes back with a quip, well, like Bigfoot movies. And I'm like, whoa. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Burn I'm city. Like, I'm like, I'm like, Burn. we can go there. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't meant, and it wasn't meant maliciously at all. But mm -hmm. you know, it just popped out. She's like, oh my gosh, like, I'm sorry. I said, you know, one of those things. Mm -hmm. But but it's funny, it just kind of goes to show, like, you know, mm -hmm. people have opinions. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that aren't 
totally on board with this stuff. It's a little yeah. too much. Well, we can't help it if those people are lame. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Jill cheers. does not cheers speak on that. Of the <laughs> 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 but you can't. You know, I think. I think it's important. You know, you need to. You know, we need to understand those people. We need to understand the skeptic mindset when we're doing these things. And and you know, I don't want to go so far as to say we're not trying to push an agenda, but. Um, it's it it's i mean the whole the thing about it is if you take two steps backwards the whole thing's absurd it's absurd in the context of what we live in right now you know um it would have been even more absurd 10 to 20 years ago but thankfully there's been a just a gradual spiritual awakening for a variety of different reasons i think post 9 11 but the thing is is that you know you talk about a big hairy creature that's roaming around in the forest you can get to a point where it gets almost comical, I guess, or cartoonish, you know, and, and we got the same reaction. I got the same reaction from Eric Bard when we sat down and interviewed him last year at Phenomicon. And he said, I, Bigfoot, he's like, I don't, he's like, I don't like Bigfoot. I don't want Bigfoot to be associated with his phenomenon because Bigfoot's kind of big and clumsy and stuff, you know, and you, and you, people, people that think about Bigfoot might think about Harry and the Hendersons and they think about the things that are in pop culture, you know, and, um, we just know that that's just not the way it is, and which is which makes it, you know, those types of things make it that much harder for us to try and get the the truth out. there. It's kind of like the grays, you know, to a certain extent, like you, you know, there's all these like gifts and dolls and bumper mm -hmm. stickers and stuff of grays that are, you know, kind of goofy, you know. So what happens when they show up? Do you take them seriously? I don't I don't know. So, yeah. You know, I think I think the important thing is is that we just keep doing what we're doing, and and mm -hmm. I think we need to be as transparent and honest about it. And we need to listen to people. We need to listen to why they don't believe in Bigfoot. And what's super interesting to me in the conversations I've had with people is that part of the reason they don't think Bigfoot's real is because they're not seeing it on ABC Nightly News. You know, we've had multiple people who are like, "Well, there's no photos, there's no evidence." And I'm like, "Well, have you even looked? Have you even looked?" But Brev, nobody's listening to ABC Nightly News. Everyone's listening, watching podcasts on YouTube, and I think that's why the conversation's shifting. Is that these, yeah, you know, these younger voices that really don't care about the old legacy media are letting it all hang out there in a way that just wasn't allowed. I mean, these people are doing what we're doing right now. They're speaking unscripted about things mm -hmm. they're passionate about with guests that they like. Um, I think that's part of, don't you think that's part of the reason it's changing? Yes. I a big time. I mean, there's a divide between the older people that are used to getting their news, you know, delivered to them on their doorstep every morning right. you know, in the form of a paper kind of a thing. And it's like, if it's not in black and white, it's not true. Right. That kind of thing. And, and so we're, we're transitioning, you know, there's also, uh, um, a huge chunk of society that, that believes in that when leadership tells you it's true, it's true. You know, never mind that, you know, doesn't matter what party you're affiliated with, where every party has got, you know, political liars that have lied for their, their entire careers. You know what I mean? And the fact of the matter is the government is lying through their teeth and the UAP people say that they're, they're committing some pretty mm -hmm. terrible crimes by, keeping this technology from us. But anyways, that's a different discussion for a different podcast. Well, I, I just want to jump in and say, I mean, regardless of whether or not we are 
making documentaries that approach the subject from a completely like flesh and blood scientific biological uh, uh, point of view, or if we're going off into new science and exploring things that fall under this, uh, this what's called the paranormal umbrella, I guess you could say, we need to be methodical and we, we need to give each story the due diligence it deserves and not just kind of throw the dice and be like, eh, let's run with this and see what happens. I mean, I think just like in everything we do, I mean, <clears throat> and that's where we've had our success is just really giving people that time to tell their stories. And in those stories, the truth is coming out. You know, as I mentioned, um, I'm in the process of moving. This is a really, uh, you know, historical area up here. There's, uh, you know, Hurricane Ridge and the Olympic Mountains and a place called, um, I think it's Blue Ridge Mountain. Um, there's a lot lot to see and do as far as uh, elevation is concerned. And it, this is where the Olympic project is. This is where a lot of sightings happen. Rich has had a sighting out this way. Aaron, my girlfriend, has had a sighting out here. Um, so we've been looking at this house for like the last week. Um, the other day we go into the house to get the inspection done. And it's an old family style house on an orchard. The guy that used to live in the house, and he lives next door. He he has a dump truck business or a, a gravel truck, not dump, but rocks in the back of his truck. And um, he's just down the street. But that's his old house, and we like it. So he comes over because the house is still empty, and there's a camera, and it chimes on his phone you know, when someone walks by the window. So he's just doing his job. Well, he comes over and introduces himself the first time and we're over there again. And the thing chimes again while it's getting inspected. So he comes over again. And so, you know, me and Aaron meet up with him along with the real estate agent and the inspector. And I'm talking about it and there's orchard trees everywhere. And, um, you know, when there's orchard trees, um, there's gotta be a root cellar. Well, this is built in the forties. So I'm eyeballing this root cellar as my next, you know, podcast place to hang out, my man cellar. I got to come up with a cooler name like Squatch Cellar or something. So um, I'm talking to this dude who used to live, you know, in the house and had the room next door to this root cellar. And um, I was like, yeah, I want to put my podcast studio down in the root cellar. And he goes, oh, you listen to podcasts? You do podcasts? And I said, yeah, we talk. Uh, we have a podcast. I talk about Sasquatch. And the look on his eye was like a kid in a candy store. He goes, all I do is listen to Sasquatch podcasts when I'm driving my truck. And I've, kind of, I've grown used to that response, but he hadn't grown used to the fact that there's someone that could talk Bigfoot, you know, on the other side of the fence with him. So we just, we immediately went down the rabbit hole and he was so, you know, into that moment and the possibility that, uh, you know, the, the old house he used to live in would have all these Bigfoot people living in it. And then he went on to tell this Bigfoot story. So here we go. Um, Mike, we'll call him, uh, I probably shouldn't give his last name. So Mike, the next door neighbor was talking about a place just down the street uh, from where Aaron had her initial sighting of something she said was a 10 foot 
jolly green giant, really. She said it was a 10-foot-tall Sasquatch that was green, covered in moss, um, you know, jumped across the road. Very bizarre sighting. Turns out that she's not the only one that had a sighting like that. Well, this guy said, yeah, it was close to that area where your girlfriend said she saw that, that being. And she goes, yeah, just down the way, there was a story, a local story that we all talked about. Um, and it involved a husband and wife that lived out in a, um, a, parson, a, a portion of land near Joyce, Washington, where periodically the, the central light would turn off and on at night. It would flick on, it would off. And they thought, well, maybe it's the cats. You know, they had cats and the cats were flicking the lights on as they were roaming outside. And the wife, I guess, went out there. I hope I'm telling this story right, Mike. And and eventually came to the conclusion that it wasn't the cats, it was Bigfoot. So she tried to tell her husband and the husband, I don't know if he believed her or not, but eventually the wife ended up passing on. And so the husband's at this house alone and now the lights are doing the th- same thing again. Well, he's like, you know, gosh, you know, is it the cats or is it what, you know, my wife said that was out there was Bigfoot. And so he goes out one night to find that there is a Sasquatch underneath the light going just like that to the kitty cats. It was a female Sasquatch luring the kitty cats with like a little kissy noise. Well, according to this guy, that's the same sound that his deceased wife made to bring the cats in. And so this female Sasquatch was... Here we go again. I mean, these are all, you know, all familiar tales of them not only mimicking behavior, but maybe even more than that, maybe an appreciation for the fact that the caretaker is now gone and these cats are used to a, a routine, right? I mean, Jill, Brett, you guys have cats. They do have some kind of routine. They're not totally, you know, just feral. But I thought that was a cool story. And that's that's literally right next door to me, right, near – um you know, underneath these orchard trees. And we all know what happens under orchard trees out in the country. Sometimes Bigfoot stuff happens. So, uh, you know, the first house that we were going to look at looked and felt a lot like the Al Moon. It was a converted two-story garage. And I thought, man, that's the place, right? Like the universe is going to send me there. But it may have been holding on for this property. I don't know. So to be continued on that. Very cool. That's a great yeah. story. That's a great story. I can't believe that. That it, it must be meant to be that this Bigfoot guy lives next door. Yeah, yeah, he's totally down That's for the cause. Awesome. When I when I told him about you guys, he goes, "You don't know Rich Jermo, do you?" And I was like, yeah. "It's like <laughs> it's a matter of fact." <laughs> I was just like, awesome. "You don't know Ron Moorhead, do you?" And I was like, "Oh, you got to watch this doc, dude. The both of these guys are in it." Yeah. Um, so he's totally, totally down for the cause. And the last thing I wanted to mention here before we go um, is that um, there has been an extended version of the Al Moon Lab, a paranormal experiment, a book I wrote um, that it was released last uh, month, actually. And I wanted to make sure that it was ready to order, that it was the right version available. It is um it is available. It is a re-release. Um, things have been uh, rewritten for context and for necessity. And I really have to thank, um, this is a time to thank Nancy Fry, 
who uh, selflessly went uh, through every page of that with a mighty big red pen and helped me straighten out some stuff in there that needed to be straightened out. But beyond that, there were some things that I just felt rushed uh, as far as how to verbalize what's going on with these people that we talk about in the doc, including the term extended experiencers, which I thought was just a little bit too wordy. It doesn't really home in, you know, the Sasquatch experience. And I thought, well, since we're edging into such this UFO world, I thought Sasquatch contactees. So that's the new term I'm using for uh <laughs> people that are extended experiencers of Sasquatch interaction is I think Sasquatch contactees of some kind is, is what we're mm. talking about because it is kind of this, you know, a little like an esoteric spiritual experience that a lot of these people at the end of the day are kind of describing uh, when they have these constant contacts. So that's changed. But the only, the other thing that's been changed is there is not as only more detail to the chapters, but there's also, um, a soundtrack I worked on. And so soundtrack's the wrong word. It's a soundscape. And um, I wanted to put something cool together that you could drive down an old dirt road and listen to because that's what I used to do. I used to try to find the best cool soundscapes. Like all I could find was Vangelis by Blade Runner because I didn't. that's all I had on cassette tape from the Goodwill was to go up Old Thurston Road with Vangelis playing. And if I didn't have that, it was like ELO or something. It was anything that was adjacent to Art Bell. And let's be honest. <laughs> Although I never played uh, ABBA, but you mean, you, mean you didn't, you, you weren't buying his Peruvian pan flute? <laughs> well, I was actually, play, when I was driving my uh, AMC uh, Hornet up the road, I was playing wow. the Peruvian pan flute. AMC, did you really have an AMC Hornet? With one working door, yeah, and I traded yeah. it for a, a TV set. But that's yeah. a different story for a different okay. time. Okay. The soundtrack, <laughs> uh, I hope people like it. It's, it's on a, a QR code. It's at the back of the book. Um, I don't know if you can uh, necessarily go in and download it from SoundCloud, but I'm sure there's a way you could backdoor it, and, and maybe Brett could uh, tell me someday how to do that for people that, that want to backdoor the, uh, the soundtrack to have it ripped. Mm -hmm. But... Um, do you have do you have love on a real train by a tangerine dream on that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No. I well if I heard what? it, I would. Yeah. Love yeah, on you a know real what it train. is. You know yeah. what it is. It's the montage sequence in Risky Business where Tom Cruise and Rebecca Den Morning Oh yes, yes, yes. Do the nasty yes. on the train. Wait, that wasn't was, a, was he, that risky that was risky business. Risky yes. business, yeah. With, and Booger makes a cameo, right? That's his yeah. best yes. friend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever the other wait, pause. Whatever happened to Booger? Cuz talk about one of my idols. If I could have turned out to be a hero and a loser, <laughs> it would have been freaking Booger or John Cusack from uh you know, better off dead. Oh, uh, or say anything. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's probably like a, a high paid corporate lawyer <laughs> now. Who, yeah. Um, just Boogers. Yeah. Runs over people with like a yeah. giant Mercedes G wagon yeah. or something nice. obnoxious. The other film, um, or I'm sorry, the other track that everybody should be listening to while they're out squatching at night is tubular bells by mike oh Old, i know that oldfield old yeah 
It's the it's the score or the track from The Exorcist. Yeah, so become very familiar. I used anyway. to have a, a buddy of mine, Jail Watkins, who would play that on the piano all through my freshman year, and he was just obsessed with the Halloween soundtrack and Tubular Bells, and it was just constant whenever he could find a piano. So I yeah. remember it well, and I think maybe maybe Depeche Mode. Uh, covered that, or there was some '80s synth mm-hmm. band that uh, did something with it. So this, the soundtrack, the soundscape at the end of Al Moon Lab, is, you know, reminiscent of some of the stuff that Brett and I are talking about right now. Because I'm a fan yeah. of old uh, '80s synth. So I hope you enjoy it. Not every sound in there is reminiscent of the sounds from the book. Um, those are all the real deal. This is more of a soundscape and you know, more of an abstraction of events. So enjoy. By Mike, the way, uh, yeah, Booger Brett. is I'm looking at Booger right now. On, uh, <laughs> Wait, I need to sound clip that comment right there <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead. Curtis Armstrong is, is, is the name of the actor. Um, he's doing voices. He's a voice on American Dad. Um, hmm. Okay. It's not Lonstein. Ellie Weasel and Snot as assistant. What are, I don't know what that means. I don't watch that show. I don't either. Um, he was on Harriet the Spy and Stumptown. Mm. And yeah, we'll Anyways. have to check out Booger. Check out, uh, you know, boy. Now I have to sound clip myself. Check out uh, all good things from the '80s. There's some stuff coming our way that we can't get into, and we're going to try to talk about it in the next two episodes. So. Tune into these next two episodes for sure, because there's some events that we can maybe talk about in the next two that we can't talk about now, but there's something big coming and I'll give you a, a semi hint. Um, we talked about Jimmy Church and Fade to Black. If you haven't listened to the Brett Eichenberger episode, it'll give you context about what the news is, but um, we're going to get into it in the next two episodes. It's um it's a way forward with a legend. I'll just put it that way. We're, 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 we're paving a path, a legendary path, and um, it's going to lead to you know, greater things, greater conversations, and it's about the damn time. Is that good enough? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, cool. I, I, I think so. I, I think maybe that's, that's maybe that's, it's a, we'll call that episode, it's about damn time. So <laughs> we're going to, uh, we're going to move into, uh, to that territory in the next two episodes. So tune in. Hey, thanks for joining uh, me guys here in my um, little U-Haul Hubble. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, All right. Cobe. It's always thanks, a good guys. time. Good hang. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good we hang, need a closing hang. slogan. Maybe somebody can suggest something like, you know what I mean? If you're, I don't know. I know. I can't just say. What our bell used to say at the end of Coast to Coast? Um, well, he would have the guests send him out, and then he would always change it out, right? Like they would get the honor. So let's let's oh, go around right. the board here. So eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Uh, Mike, you get the honor of sending us out. Go. Oh, geez, that's too much pressure. Oh, Mike, <laughs> I'm not I'm not an improvisational uh, guy. All right, okay, Brett, send us out. Go. I'm going to send us out by passing the mic to Jill. Oh my God, you guys are such mm-hmm. psychos. Jill, go. <laughs> okay, so we're wrapping it up and we will see you on the other side. Tune in next week as we explore 
the unknown, the mysterious, and all things in between. This has been a Resonance Production Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at BigfootRevealedPod at gmail.com. Also, if you're just discovering the Flash of Beauty universe, you can watch our documentary on most major streaming platforms.